Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Everybody good? Yeah, you guys look awesome. Thank you so much uh, for being with us here tonight at LifePoint. I got to just say a couple things before I jump in. Uh, we just completed our EXO conference, our marriage conference, at about 2 o'clock. And this room was full of people, couples this morning, uh, all day today and, and last night as well. And I see some folks, including Robert and Charmaine, who are hosts all day. And some people who are here all day, I just got to say, you guys are next level believers. You're in the room all day and you come tonight. So, yeah. I, I, and I want to just say a big thank you to all of our team, all of our dream team, all the folks who coordinated and made this happen. Uh, honestly, it was an amazing, it was an amazing last night and an amazing day. And if for whatever reason you couldn't make it this year, I, I would encourage you next year, um, it could be a game changer. Like, I, I really believe some folks got help today in ways that they were really desperate for, uh, honestly. And so um, if you are in a great place or if you're in a place where it's not as good as you'd like, um, don't miss the next one. Don't miss the next one because it was really, really great. But before I... Um, jump in, I, I just feel like it's important that we stop and pray for, for the nation of Ukraine. Um, there are so many amazing people there. Uh, I have a friend who's a missionary there, uh, goes over there several times a year and t talks about the incredible faith of the Ukrainian believers there. Uh, this is a very much so a Christian nation in so many ways. And in fact, so much so that they send missionaries to here. Um, how, how awesome is that? Because God knows we could, can, can we use some help over here, y'all? And, um, and, and so I, I know that there's some, some stuff going on there, but I just believe that God's able to help and strengthen and give peace and turn, turn things around and, and, and make a miracle there. W would you mind just... Uh, just for a minute praying with me. For them. I know you probably already have been, but could we just do that together? Uh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, we come to you for this nation. Um, God, where there's a lot of innocent men and women and people who are having to flee and go into Poland. And, and then I heard today that there are people from Poland coming back to help uh, defend. And Lord, for all the reasons, and we don't always understand all the reasons that this stuff happens, but Lord, we know that there are amazing men and women there, believers and, uh, and other people who are just there. And I just pray your protection and your hand of mercy. And, and Lord, we just know that you um, are, are, have all power. Uh, there's no go governance that has more power than you. There's no president or any other, body, any other person who has more power than you. And so we just ask, God, that you would move in that situation and that you would... Um, make exactly whatever needs to happen, happen, and Lord, according to your timeline, according to your will, according to your sovereignty, Lord, and we just pray for those people, those men and women, you protect and keep, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said a good amen. Man, I'm going to just ask you to keep praying. Uh, I can't sleep sometimes at night and thinking about what's going on there, and, and every time I wake up, I just pray. I just ask God to help and, and do what he wants to do. Uh, I want to do this series, and for those of you who've been uh, at the EXO conference, thank you, Hannah, thank you, thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Hannah showed up here and started playing, and I didn't realize she was here, and I was like, dear God, there's a, where's that noise coming from? But 
Sorry, I just, yeah, you're welcome, you're welcome. Um, uh, but we, we're in this series called Love Dates and Heartbreaks, and we're, and we're talking about uh, relationships, not just marriage relationships, but, but all kinds of relationships. And I was thinking about the folks who will be here tomorrow and the people who are here today who are just like master class teaching on relationships. And I'm like, I just want to apologize in advance because it's just going to be me today. And, uh, and I hope that we can, uh, we can do some good work here. Th- those of you who are married or have kids or those of you who or have roommates, like you, uh, I know that uh, some people on our staff have roommates. Uh, h- how many of you have ever gotten into an argument about the trash? Anybody ever gotten into an argument in your house? Come on, y'all not telling the truth, right? Right, a lot of you have, right? Um, It's like, who's taking out the trash? Why didn't you take out the trash? Come on, man, the trash was yesterday, and and you missed it. And if you're in my home, um, I'm a deep, uh, deep not fan of trash that gets piled high. Can I get an amen on that? It's like, bro, can you see not one more thing can go in this trash can? Uh, I'm not going to say anything about anybody that works in the back of the house, um, about the trash can that used to be in that corner right over there. And one day I walked over there. The trash can's this tall, but the trash was this tall. And I was like, I'm serious, man. I'm going to cut somebody if we have this trash. So I'm willing to cut folk over trash. I'm just, if you're, if you're new here, sorry. I, uh, every now and then I pull out a knife for some reason that I don't know. Um, it, it's, like, it, it's like you forgot the trash. The garage is going to... How many of y'all know that if you leave the trash for an extra week, because in our neighborhood, we only, got, we only have one trash pickup. My old neighborhood, we had two. So if you forgot one day, you could, get it, you could pick it up on the next one. But if you miss it this time, because we have to keep it in our garage or they'll yell at us. The HOA, you know, the, the, the Nazis or whatever. I mean, the HOA, um, they will come around and spy on your, your, your land or whatever you've got. And, and if you leave it in the garage and it's a, it's a week late, come on, y'all, it smells. It smells bad. Uh, depending if it was the holidays and you missed it, it smells real bad because you made a lot of food. Stuff like that. So show of hands again. How many of you have ever gotten to a little bit of an argument with your kids or somebody about trash? Right? Okay. All right. Uh, I'm guessing that there are some of you that are so passionate about trash and how it should be handled that if we were to give the mic around and say, like, give us your seven pet peeves of trash removal, like, we might never get the microphone back from you, right? It'd be like, that's it. That's all you're going to hear tonight, right? Folk are passionate about trash. And so you're like, what in the world is the man talking about, right? T- today we're going to talk about taking out the relational trash um, that's stinking up our marriages or our, or our families or our friendships and our best relationships. And somebody has got to be honest and get real about trash in our relationships and so you're saying well what kind of trash are you talking about Danny well we're going to get there um and and by the way I just I want to say this uh whether it's tonight or whether it's sometime during this weekend there are some people who desperately need to hear um God's word tonight Uh, and I just hope that you'll lean in if you're tired that you'll just kind of figure out a way to energize yourself because this could help somebody in a, a big way Years ago, I discovered the work of, of a, a professor, uh, he and his wife, the Gottmans, are up, at, I think, in the University of Washington, um, Dr. John Gottman, and he's done some incredible research for 30-plus years now um, about why marriages and why relationships break down over time, and he says that when, 
conflicts start to arise in a relationship, there are, he calls them the four horsemen. You can Google this and you'll find so much material about this. There are these four horsemen who, if, are, if they're allowed to run free in a marriage, and he's, he's specifically dealing with marriages, are certain to make life much worse, the relationship much worse, worse, and sometimes, oftentimes, actually, he says, these four things, if they're allowed to just run, will bring about a kind of relational death. And the first one he has is, is, this critis- is criticism. And there's a difference between criticisms and complaint. Everybody understands that, right? So a complaint is pointing out something about your spouse or, t- or about your kids or about your parents that you find annoying or you find frustrating, but... Um, a criticism goes much deeper uh, and attacks the person's character or the, the, their very being, their personhood. Like, and, and we end up using words like always, you always do this, or you never do that. Whenever you use those in a phrase, you can almost bet that you're using, you're using criticism and it's not just a complaint. A, and a complaint attacks a problem, a criticism attacks a person. The second one that he says is this word contempt. And by the way, they start here at criticism, and they kind of work their way down, and each one becomes a little bit more uh, severe. Uh, Contempt is showing uh, disgust for your spouse or your kids or your parents with with things like name-calling, demeaning language, uh, some condescending humor, like chronic condescending humor, and even demeaning body language, like rolling your eyes or huffing. Like, uh, I don't know if, if any of you have gone to bed at night and you go to bed and you hear a kind of a huff going on over there. And you're like, do you need some asthma medicine? Is there, it's like, should I get my little puffer out? But there, come on, anybody? Okay, don't raise your hands. All right, right. Huffing, glaring, you know, st- you know start, starting, starting to use like almost uh, like uh, abusive kind of body language or whatever. And, and contempt, he says, if left to grow, uh, unche- or if it's not left unchecked, it grows over time and causes us to inevitably de- almost despise the person that we're supposed to love. And we can start to see them, he says, as the enemy of our own happiness. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then the third one is defensiveness. And he says, w- this happens when um, a person actually does something wrong um, and refuses to apologize, refuses to sort of back down, uh, and, 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 and oftentimes the defensive person will actually uh, deflect their responsibility in an issue and, and at the same time start pointing out um, the flaws in their, their spouse, which have nothing to do with the current thing. They're just reaching and grabbing stuff from some other time, some past time, to sort of deflect. So they, they like to shift blame, right? It's like, hey, babe, what if you didn't do that anymore? And it's like, oh, yeah, well, what about that time you? And, and that's, that's defensiveness. And then the last one is stonewalling, and he, he says what happens when people stonewall each other, and I'll explain stonewalling in just a second, is we, we stop working for peace and oneness, and we start settling for two lonely but parallel lives. And, and he says that, Dr. Gottman says that um, men are responsible for 85% of stonewalling in a relationship. So ladies, you can take a break right there for a minute, apparently. But this is when, when we start to avoid conflict or when there's a necessary conversation, we check out of it, we withdraw, we leave, um, we avoid, and he calls this stonewalling. And, and I bring all of this up because he says that when the four horsemen of criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling are allowed to take a 
regular residence in a marriage or a relationship, statistically, Dr. Gottman says, it will almost always end in divorce unless there is, he says 91% of the time, according to 30 years of research, unless there is a concerted effort to rid the relationship of this relational trash. Does that make sense? Like if you just let these things live in your marriage or in your, in your home, over time, the net result is 90, 90, 9 out of 10 times, it's not going to end well. Unless somebody goes, we cannot have this stuff as part of our marriage, our relationships. And so th- th- there's all kind of trash that we could bring in. We could talk about uh, the sins of adultery or emotional or physical abuse or emotional cheating, other things. These are some others of the ways that, and I'll, I'm going to use this word strategically, that we sin against each other. That, that's the right word, by the way, that we sin against each other. The question is, is what do we do with this kind of trash? And it's the kind of trash that is stinking up our relationships, and like any sort of trash in a home, you have to take it out and deal with it. And let's be honest, we don't really deal with the trash. We take it to the road and let the professionals come and get it. Can I get an amen on that? So like, we're, I'm, I don't know what to do with this, but if I put it by the road, magically, somebody's going to come and get it. Can I get a praise God for the trash men, right? All you got to do is go to Haiti where they have no trash men, and you'll see how great it is, come on, to have trash men in your country. All right, anyways, love, love our Haitian friends, all right, but they don't have trash men. Anyways, so... so I want to dig into this whole idea a little deeper, and I'm going to finish with something uh, I hope is going to be really helpful. Um, Many of our problems in relationships have to do with unresolved issues that we actually brought into the relationship, right? So we'll think this problem that we're having is marriage problems, when in fact they're not marriage problems. They were single people problems. That single people brought into a marriage, and now we blame them on marriage problems. Yes or no, right? You're like, oh, that's probably the truth, right? It is the truth, by the way. Just FYI. So sometimes we've created them in the marriage, but oftentimes they were brought into our relationship. So things that keep coming up over and over again, and, and we don't deal with them, they become unresolved issues. And they, over time, can turn into... These things, okay, I just want you to know that. Um, and, and so maybe you don't want to talk about these things. Maybe it's too personal. Maybe it's too touchy. Maybe it's too hot right now. If we talk about this, it's going to end up in, a, in an argument. It could be finances. It could be, it could be sexual intimacy. It could be in-laws. Come on, can I get an amen for in-laws? It could be p- kids, right? It could be someday I'm going to be an in-law, so I'm going to reap what I sow. Anyways, it could be not yet, praise God. Uh, anyways, it could be kids. It could be communications. It could be just the roles and responsibilities that we feel like should be done by the other person and they're not taking them on, right? It could be any of these things. And you don't want to talk about it, so it becomes an unresolved issues. And unresolved issues uh, move a marriage, I'll talk about marriage for a minute here, move a marriage from harmony when it begins to kind of underlying sort of low-key hostility and maybe it can devolve into a kind of apathy where people just stop caring about the state of their marriage and they sort of give up and just kind of wait for it to end and sort of like unravel. 
And the, most, the worst unresolved issues aren't the ones that were created in our marriage. I said this before, I'll say it again. They're the ones we brought into our marriage from our hurts and our hang-ups and our habits that we, that we brought in while we were single, maybe from our families of origin. Like when you, when those of you who are married, when you got married, you weren't a blank slate, were you? Right? You weren't like an etch-a-sketch that had been freshly like, erased. There, there was a lot of scribbling on your heart, yes or no? Like, not me, I was perfect in all my ways, right? That's a whole other problem. All right, anyways, you, you grew up in a family that had certain ways of doing things, habits, patterns, ways of, uh, of doing things that you thought were the ways that should be done. But the other person grew up in another family where they did it completely opposite way, so you're both coming in, into a relationship thinking that this is the right way to do things, and then you re- realize, no, they think it's a totally different way. This is, by, by the way, why we believe in premarital counseling, and we've just kind of decided that we won't do we won't do marriages anymore where people haven't had that done. We're just like, it's not worth it. Because we, w- uh, we said this two weeks ago, we want to tie a good knot. Can I get an amen from some right people? You want that knot to be tied good. A- and so all of us carry baggage into our relationships. We carry hurts. We carry habits. We carry hang-ups. And the more pain, i got to say this, the more pain you had growing up in your family, um, the more baggage you're likely carrying into your relationships and the more problems you're going to have to resolve as a result of things that weren't even your fault. Just, this is what your family was like. And if we don't deal with the baggage that we bring in to the relationship, we end up carrying it around, and we end up placing the load and the burden on our spouse, and if they don't take it, we end up dumping it out all over the place, and it creates a big stinking mess. And and I want to say this, and and I want to be kind, because I'm also talking about me, you, you brought or will bring far more flaws into a marriage than you realize. In many ways, your family's probably set you up for great success. But in, in many ways, they probably set you up um, f- with some failures. You, they, they give you strengths, but they also give you some weaknesses. And you bring um, weaknesses sometimes, sometimes more than you bring strengths. And, and when the trash you bring in starts to stink, this is when we start to fight over them. And sometimes it happened in the first six months of your marriage, and sometimes it took a few years, but finally the stink comes out. Can I? Don't say amen. Anyways, um, and, and then you come into a marriage, and anytime your spouse even remotely triggers you about whatever the things that you hated about your parents or, or, or your family or, or an ex or whatever it was, whether they were controlling or domineering, wouldn't listen, Whatever it was, it could be a hundred different things. You tend to take all that anger that's been stuffed down from your past, that you've been ignoring, compartmentalizing, uh, minimizing, and men were great minimizers, by the way. You take all that, and it's unresolved, and then when, it, when, when the steam starts to rise, you turn it, and you focus it in on all this anger and hostility and baggage from a past that your, your spouse or, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whomever it is had nothing to do with you focus it in on them. This happens all the time, and we become angry, and we become hostile and defensive and critical, and we use words that we shouldn't use, and... And ultimately, it, it boils down to very selfish behavior that we all have because of unresolved issues, this emotional, spiritual trash stinking up our relationships. I want to say this. I said it two weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. Selfishness kills relationships. And yet selfishness is at the root um, of all of sin. 
If you, if you break sin down to a DNA level, at its core, it's selfishness, right? And, and sin is the problem, and the gospel of Jesus is the answer. So sin, uh, relational sin includes sins of omission and sins of commission. So omission is things that we should be doing, but we don't do because we're lazy or because we forget or because we just don't want to, right? And then the sins of commission include things that we do that we shouldn't do, things we shouldn't have done. And the answer to all of these, t- these things I- I- that I've talked about so far are, is two things, and they're, and they're gospel things. It's repentance and forgiveness. This is where we're going to finish. Th- these are how... These two words are how we start the process of taking out the trash. And the process is not a, hey, roll it down to the curb. It's, it can be a, an extended process. Everybody with me on this? It's not a, it, it, you can't have 20 years of bad things happening in a marriage and then go, hey, we're going to attend this EXO conference and it's all going to be taken care of. No, no, no. It's just a way that you get inspired. It's a catalyst. It's a way to get invigorated towards change. But it, there, there's change. So um, we, we sin against each other. And we all do this. I sin against my wife. She sins against me. You guys sin against each other. I sin against my kids. My kids sin against me. And, and our only legitimate options to, to, to move forward are to repent and or forgive. And, and we can kill our sin or our sin can kill our marriage. We start by repenting to God for our sins and repenting to each other. And repentance, by the way, just a couple of repentance facts. It's not getting caught, it's coming clean. Like a lot of people want to repent when they get caught. No, 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 it's just coming clean. Like whatever, whenever you've done the wrong thing in word or deed or not doing the right thing, you own that and you say, babe or son or daughter, I blew that, I'm so sorry, right? That's what repentance is. Repentance is not blame shifting of our sins like t- to deflect our wrong and point out their wrong so that we don't have to deal with our wrong. And, 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 and I would ask you, wh- what things are you blaming others for that is actually on you? Right? R- repentance is not just confession. Right? It involves that. T- too many times we say we are sorry for something, but there is no real, there is no deep, there is no heartfelt commitment to change. Okay? These are two sides of the same coin, by the way. Okay, on one side involves repentance. When you've done the wrong thing, we repent. Repentance is about changing directions. Authentic repentance also involves confession. This is where you agree with God, I'm talking about between you and God, that you have sinned. That's what the Bible tells us. When we have sinned, we can confess it to God and, and He is faithful and just to forgive us, right? That's what the Bible says. Confession includes, though, though both your mind and your mouth. Right? So you need to speak what you think about your sin, and this involves relational sins, right? You can't just go, well, I wish I didn't do that. You gotta say that. Come on, you everybody with me on this? Right? And, and repentance often involves contrition as well. Godly sorrow, the Bible calls it, where you feel what God feels about your sin. It includes both your emotions and it includes your expressions. Your heart is affected, not just your words. Repentance then is change. In change, we stop sinning and we start worshiping God. And change includes 
your will, and change includes your works. With me, everybody? Okay. Uh, every couple uh, and every relationship that you're going to have that is long-term that involves love, because I told you two weeks ago they're complex, Every couple has to learn to practice repentance of sins to each other and to God if we hope to have a long-lasting life together with love, filled with love and, and wholeness and contentment. But it's not just repentance that we have to learn because on the other side of that coin is this other word, forgiveness. That, that no long-standing relationship where love is involved will survive without there being authentic forgiveness involved. And not just once, but it becomes a lifestyle, like a commitment to, because we're going we're gonna to do things wrong, yes or no, often uh, throughout our lives, right? And some of you are better than others, right? But for, as for me and my house, we will repent to each other. Come on, everybody, right? right. So, so let me finish talking about forgiveness and why I think this is maybe the biggest root cause of any of the four horsemen. This is what causes the four horsemen to exist in, in relationships maybe more than anything. When we sin against our spouses or friends or whomever, our kids, our parents, we cause them to hurt, to suffer. When we sin, we are supposed to apologize. We are supposed to ask for forgiveness and try, if possible, to make things right. But once we have done that, there is the onus now shifts to the other person to say, I forgive you and let's move on from this. But therein lies a very big problem that often doesn't get talked about. I um, happened to just be scrolling through something the other day and ran into just a piece of a talk by um, a former pastor, author, speaker, communicator, world-class Bible teacher uh, named Paul Tripp, or Paul David Tripp, a lot of people call him. By the way, I just, I, I can't recommend his stuff enough. Just an amazing communicator of the Bible. And I just, I just want to give you a little bit of what I heard. And, and, and it was just a few moments. And, and I'm going to give you some of the things he said and, and then my take on some of that. But, but I just want to start with um, a series of questions. And I want you to lean in and hear these and own them if, if, if it applies. Why don't we forgive quickly? When people harm us, especially in relationships where love is involved, when people harm us, why aren't we quick to forgive? Why do we ever keep a record of the wrongs that we've done to each other? Why do we do that? The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs, and yet... We do. I do. You do. Why, why would we ever allow ourselves to become bitter to our spouse or to anyone else? Why would we ever throw back into someone's face something they said or something they did months or years ago? Why would we do that? Why do we go days, and I'll speak to married people, where we essentially don't really speak to each other? Like we give the silent treatment. We will have conversations because our kids are there, but we don't really speak to each other. 
why does intimacy, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, I'm just talking about intimacy, why does it fade away in marriages? Why? Why do we not forgive? But by the way, it's very tempting to sit and hear things like what I'm asking and think, I'm so glad my spouse is hearing this today, right? <laughs> don't, don't listen for the person next to you. Don't listen to the person sitting on the couch beside you right now. Right? This is for you and this is for me. It's interesting to me the language that Jesus uses um, in his famous prayer where he says, forgive us. Can you say this with me, everybody? Would you say it at home? Say it with me. Forgive us our, as we forgive those who have. Now, most translations will say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, um, our, our debtors, right? Our, our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us or our debtors. Now, I, I want to I I highlight something. If you have your Bibles, I want you to write this underneath these two words, or if you want to make a box like I like to do. He, he says, forgive us our debts as we, and, and what he means right there is um, to the same degree or in the same manner that we forgive others who've wronged us in our lives. God, I'm asking you to forgive me in that same manner. Did you catch that? Like, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to pray, forgive us, God, our debts in the same way or to the same degree that we forgive those who've sinned against us. Dangerous prayer, yes or no? Right? You're like, oh, I'm not going to pray that one anymore. Right? Right? The, the fact is that if, Jesus is saying that if you don't get this part right, the me and you part right, then this part won't be right either. That's what Jesus is saying here. Matter of fact, if you're not actively seeking to make things right with folks that you're at odds with, nothing works very well relationally. It just disrupts everything. And this is why your Bible is filled with this statement. Just as or as we, just as Christ has forgiven you, over and over and over again, it shows up all through, through the Bible. The fact is, if you don't get this right, you don't get that right. But, but why this word debt? It doesn't, it doesn't mean money, not in this verse. It means offenses or sins or trespasses against God and against one another. It's literally talking about a kind of relational debt. And, and it's talking about something that happens in relationships that creates a debt-to-debtor dynamic. And I'd argue that relational debt, I know that financial debt is a big cause for marriages to break down but I'd argue that relational debt is the most dangerous kind of debt because relational debt involves someone owing something to someone in order to make the debt right. It always causes an imbalance in any relationship. Have you ever had, driven a car where the wheels got really out of balance, right? Creates for a very rough ride, and that's what relational debt does. And there are only two ways to make it right. Either somebody has to pay up or somebody has to forgive or cancel the debt. But when, when repentance has been confessed, I'm sorry I did this thing. I'm sorry I said that thing to you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you the whole story. Will you forgive me? And the other person decides to, yes, verbally 
but nevertheless hang on to the offense, this is where the imbalance occur, occurs, and it makes the ride rough. When you hold on to a wrong, when you refuse to forgive someone's trespasses against you, when you, ha- when you have something that you hold over the other person, you've now placed that person in your debt. And that debt, over time, becomes terribly destructive to marriages or any type of relationship. Plenty of uh, familial relationships have been destroyed by this very thing. And, and in my experience, most often wielded by children, grown children against their parents. Seen this over and over again. Why don't we forgive, though? Why, why, why do we hold on to things? The, the answer is in that word, debt. Because debt is power. Just ask any financial institution that you owe a bunch of money to. They have a lot of power over you, whether you know that or not. Right? Which is why the Bible is always against debt. Right? It's just, they don't, the Bible doesn't like debt. Right? It creates an imbalance where someone holds cards over you, and there's power in that relation, relational debt. And it creates four things. I'm going to go quickly now. It becomes a kind of superiority to, to the debt holder, right? The person who holds the debt. So, so that when you hold on to the, ro- onto the wrong, <clears throat> it makes you feel kind of superior. It makes you feel more righteous. You're the one who's, who's right, and, 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 and you're the victim, and it creates a kind of leverage that you will often pull out to use against them in moments where it feels like maybe the power is shifting. Right? Th- there's power in, in, in that identity that, that I'm the victim of your wrongs and now I'm superior to you on some level. I, I wish I could tell you I've never done this, but I have. Right? Th- the power of debt is also not only superiority, but it's a kind of entitlement. Like after what you've done to me. Right? I- I'm going to go out. Now I have license to go out and do something just like that. Whatever it is, whatever the scale is, and there isn't anything you can say to me about this because, after all, you did this first. I'm the victim, and I have the right to a form of repayment. Pay for your crimes. You owe me entitlement. And listen, entitlement disrupts, it distracts, and it destroys relationships over time. I talked about it two weeks ago. Because, as we said, what fuels great relationships is sacrifice and mutual submission and service. But entitlement is the opposite of those two beautiful characteristics. Love is not about my wants or my wishes or what I deserve. That's not love. Here's what Paul Tripp says. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. That's godly love. It does not demand reciprocation. Now, it's not just superiority and entitlement, but it's also weaponry. Debt is power, and there's power in using in certain moments where the pressure's coming at you now to to use that person's weakness and failure against him or her. In moments when we want our own way, we we, we come kind of with our moral guns loaded, ready to sling them, ready to fire at the other person anytime it suits us, to throw something at them from their own past. And we have to get rid of that kind of trash because... The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ, and yet in some way we hold condemnation over the people that we love because they made a mistake against us one day. Colossians 3, Paul says, but now you must, what, get rid of all such things. Get rid of the trash, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from 
your mouth. These are some of the very things that are creating the toxic environments in which some of us are living right now in relationships. Paul says, you got to take them out to the curb and let somebody deal with that trash. Because it's going to wreck the very thing that you want to survive. But can I just apply some logic here now? This does not, these things that we're talking about so far, they do not make your spouse want to be closer to you. It never results in deeper intimacy. It never grows joy, this debt-to-debtor dynamic. It never grows your appreciation for each other. It it never grows uh, mutual admiration and respect. In fact, it does the opposite of all of those things. And yet, we do this all the time. And your marriage or your relationships with your kids or your parents won't grow. It cannot become better when any of this stuff is involved. What's amazing to me is that no one wants to live with this dynamic of tension all the time and relational imbalances. There's no joy in that for anyone, not even the debt holder. And yet when we allow relational debt to exist by our own decisions, we eliminate any possibility of long-term joy, intimacy, and closeness. And the power of debt isn't just superiority, entitlement, and weaponry. It also puts you in the seat of God's position, the judge. You become the judge, and you become the dispenser of punishment. And, you do, and, and do you know what those punishments often are? Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. You're meeting out something in your relationship that is going to kill it 90% of the time. But ask yourself this question. How long does someone have to suffer for what they did. How long before a person is allowed to move on from whatever it was they did? If they could pay the debt, what would they need to pay to pay the debt off? What would that cost? What do they owe? And who gets to decide all of that? Only you do. You see the many problems with relational debt? Can I just say this again? None of this will ever make your relationship a beautiful a safe place to be and to live in. And what if, if what you most desire, and I think most of us do, even at the very depths of our hearts, is to have a healthy and whole marriage or relationship with our kids or our, our parents, this will most definitely, 100% of the time, create the opposite. And could you just acknowledge that relational debt, if you're allowing it to exist inside of your relationships, is going to kill it. You're like, we want fun Danny back. <clears throat> Hannah, you can come play keys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end right here. here. Here's what happens. If you hold on to wrongs and you don't forgive, you will start to nurture, and this is what I've seen over the years of working with, with families and over the years of my own experience and the, the ways I've gotten this wrong, you will nurture a dislike for your spouse because you begin to only meditate on their worst moments that they've had with you. We used to call it flaw focus. You just focus on the flaws. And and if you only think about your spouse or your kids or your parents in terms of their worst moments, no wonder you're critical, filled with contempt, contempt, defensive, and prone to stonewalling. When you look at another person through the lens of unforgiveness, they have no opportunity to move on and move forward, and so what's often left for them, whether it's right or wrong, is to move out and to move on from the relationship, or at the very best, try to survive in this relationship, but the sweetness, the intimacy, the joy is all gone 
unless you take the trash out. I'm pretty confident this is why Jesus referred to our sins as debts. Because he wanted us to forgive the debts that others have incurred with us. That if a person sins against us and hurts us, he or she owes us on some level. And we can, however, if we wish, if we understand grace, cancel the debt with a mere phrase saying to them from our hearts, I forgive you and then I'm going to let this go. And I, listen, I know that's easier said than done. This is why forgiveness is not a moment. It's a practice. You practice it, and you have to make the decision sometimes when it's been a big, deep, painful failing. You have to make a decision every day I wake up. It's like Brandon said, my wife is a new creation. My husband is a new creation. My children are a new creation. My parents are a new creation. Whom the Son has set free is free. You have to make those conscious decisions of the will. You practice it. And one day when you practice it long enough, you'll actually feel it. Forgiveness is not about feelings. It's about a decision. It's about a choice. You'll never feel like forgiving. Come on. You just feel like cutting them a little bit for, for Jesus. Can I get a witness from somebody, right? right? And this is, the Lord says, is what we must do if we will be forgiven by God ourselves. There is no way around this, he says. The requirement to forgive others is absolute. Matthew 6 and 12 again. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And here's where the Amplified says it. Letting go of both the wrong and the resentment. Many of you have said, I forgive you for what you said or for what you did. But you hung on to the resentment. And that's no kind of forgiveness at all. We have to let go of both the wrong and the resentment. And God wants to heal your relationships. And the healing process always starts with God. And it always finishes with God. But there's some you involved in the middle. Forgiveness is really a gospel issue. And our hurt and our anger and our bitterness towards each other. We can lose sight of the truth that no one has been sinned against or been offended more than God. No one has been wounded, grieved, hurt, betrayed, mistreated more than God. And we, you and I, have contributed to that hurt. And so any sin we commit against each other is ultimately a sin against God. And this means that God could be the most embittered person in the universe if he were anything like us. But instead, <clears throat> he sent Jesus uh, who came and took our place and suffered for our sins, and he pronounced forgiveness from the cross, and as a result of the forgiveness offered from the cross, the Bible commands us in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, here we go again, just as in Christ God forgave you. But you know what the problem is, is too often we would rather be right than kind. And too often we struggle with compassion because compassion has the quality of putting yourself in the place of the other person. And what compassion should always render inside of our hearts is the acknowledgement that that person who has offended you is fighting a very hard battle because of baggage from the past, hurts and hang-ups from the past. They're fighting a, a very hard battle. And, and, and we don't always know 
what the battles that they fought is. And I'm not excusing anybody's misbehavior, but I'm saying the compassion goes, ah, I'm going to seek to understand why this is a habit for them or this is a pattern for them. And I'm going to seek to feel the pain of the other person where empathy has an opportunity to grow. And, and we can see our own weaknesses even in, in their failings. And we offer the compassion we'd want if the situation was reversed. And when you do this, when you have kindness and compassion for one another, it releases a kind of healing virtue into a sickened relationship to the extent that I would say the greatest moments of intimacy in this life will often come on the other side of forgiveness. I know people now, there's a great man in my life whose wife years ago had a moral failure. And he would say to you today that he would never trade that moment, as painful as it was, as horrific as it was, he says, because it took a marriage that was kind of limping along and turned it into the most beautiful thing that he could possibly imagine. And you would say, I would never say that because sometimes we've never come across through the pain of betrayal and hurt and seen what the beauty is on the other side when forgiveness, true forgiveness is available. And I would say again, the greatest moments of intimacy in this life will often come on the other side of forgiveness. So Father, thank you for the word of the Lord and I thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for the word of the Lord. I thank you for God, this, this very serious thing. I know it's serious. It wasn't quite as fun as we might used to want to have, but I'm just praying, Lord, for healing. God, I believe you spoke to my heart this afternoon that you want to heal some key relationships, not just marriage ones, but your parents and kids and families and spouses and siblings. You want to heal. But, but in almost every healing that we see in the Bible, there was often some, some, some step involved from the person who wanted to be healed, whether it was touching the hem of a garment or the way it was spitting into the dirt and making a mud ball or whether it was asking what's in your hand. God, we gotta, we got to give you something to work with. And I think that the thing that many of us need to start working with is just surrendering, laying down the weapons, laying down the entitlement, laying down the superiority, laying down the role of judge, which is only your role. We, don't, we, don't, we, we can't be trusted with that. God's asking for rep repentance, repenting, asking for forgiveness, or extending forgiveness. God, if we could just start there, if we could just give you that, no matter how hard it may seem to move forward, you will use that to bring healing and release healing virtue into relationships. And so God, right now, I'm praying for relationships. I feel such a burden for people who are struggling right here and right now. And I'm just praying that people will say, I'm, I've come to the end of myself as it relates to this relationship. And the moment that we come to the end of, this, of ourselves and we invite you in is the moment that you can take us all the way through. And so I'm praying for strength and I'm praying for courage and I'm praying for clarity that people will see these 
this trash, the things that we call trash today, the, these things that are, that are stinking up their relationships or affecting them. God, th- God that the Bible says in 1 John 1, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just. God, that, that somehow in the surrendering, and somehow in the confession, it removes the barriers between intimacy, between even us and you, God. And I believe that they could be, the same could be true for people here in the confession, in the repentance, in the, in the true sorry and, and change of heart that the baggage can get removed and create a pathway for restoration, for healing, for hope. And I just pray that that would be true in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.